What's up, gentlemen? Before we begin, a friendly reminder that this podcast is not associated with any church, school, or calling body, and nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official doctrine, teaching, or theology of any church, school, or calling body. We're a bunch of dudes who love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, and this is where we air out our thoughts, so don't take it as much more than that. I hope that this is edifying for you. Let's get started with the show. Okay, fellas, my name is Charlie Ungemach. I'm the founder and creator of Gird Up, and this is the place where young men learn to be the man that God created them to be. We're really glad to have you guys with us. Um, this is going to be an awesome episode. It's going to be a great show. Um, there is, there, there, I, it's been a long time since I was nervous to have a guest on, and Dr. Ben was that guest. Um, I, I respect him a ton. Um, he has, tons of knowledge and wisdom to share um, and frankly the the fact that he came down here and sat in my living room and sat across from me and podcasted with me is a huge honor um, and a privilege to have him on and so welcome to everybody who's here because they heard about us on uh, the well mind podcasts um, it's a blessing to have you guys as well that's dr. Ben's podcast and he'll he'll plug that later on in the show I'll make sure to put in the show notes down below uh, but we're going to talk quite a bit about uh, mental health today. And I will admit that as a young person, uh, especially even up until being a young man, I didn't understand um, depression and anxiety disorders and things like that. And, and there was definitely a stigma attached to them for me. Um, and it wasn't, like I said, it was something I did not understand. And things that you don't understand, you tend to judge very easily. <laughs> um, and so... Um, it was it was a big turning point in my life and a big change and shift for me um, a few years ago when very close members of my community and my circle um, began to struggle pretty heavily with with mental health issues and then even I myself in my first teaching role um, had just crippling anxiety like uh, to to a large degree. Um, that I had to deal with and work through, um, and it's by no means like a clinical disorder or anything like that, um, but it is a real part of who I am and the way I'm made up. I, I get a lot of anxiety, and so um, the older I've gotten and the more experience I have and the more ministry that I do and the more people I interact with and, and even have intimate friendships with, the more I realize and understand just how big of a role mental health plays in everybody's life, um, but especially those who have something additional going on uh, behind the scenes, that there's something going on in their brain, whether it's uh, trauma-related um, or whether it's just you know, the chemicals in their brain are not balanced appropriately. Um, there's all kinds of different places that mental health issues come from, um, and they all need to be dealt with and should be dealt with with love and compassion and kindness um, and that's a huge part of who we are as men too if we're gonna if we're gonna be protectors if we're gonna stand in, in the gap for the people around us and bring order to the chaos um, we need to understand uh, the issues that people are facing and even the issues that we as men are facing in our own minds in our own hearts and so this is a great opportunity uh, to sit down with dr. Ben and talk about some of those things um, and make sure that we really have a good grip and a handle on uh, mental health issues and what's going on around us and even some of the spiritual aspects uh, of mental illness um, and even if it's not mental illness just um you know making sure that i'm mentally healthy because there's a gap between you know being mentally ill and uh, not necessarily being healthy there's a lot of there's a lot of room in the middle there um, and that's where most people sit so we're going to talk a little bit about that today uh, before we get started with the show, though, got a couple things to talk about. First of all, if you're not supporting the podcast, we'd ask that you do. We provide this free of charge. This doesn't cost anybody anything to listen to us. And it's a huge blessing um, that we get to do so. We're very glad to do so. And you guys have been very generous with us. And the podcast is paying for itself. I'm not lo no longer paying for this podcast out of pocket. But we want to be able to continue to
continue to do that as well and bring on awesome guests like Dr. Ben. And in order to do that, we have to continue to be funded. So um, you can do that in a couple of different ways. One, you can go on a website and donate a $5 cup of coffee. It's only $5, but it goes a long way to helping us pay for the licensing and the branding and um, the posting and all that kind of stuff. We, we need a platform. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can go buy a Gird Up t-shirt. Now, we're running out of adult sizes, the big the big adult sizes, like the the people my size sizes. Um, but a lot of the smaller sizes are still available. So actually, there, I think we still have a, at least one t-shirt in every variety available in every size. Uh, but you have to get on there soon and order them, otherwise we're going to run out. Out. So go get your Gird Up t-shirt today. You can also donate on Patreon. Um, and some people have just straight up sent me a check in the mail, and I'm okay with that. Uh, you guys are an absolute blessing to us. If you are not able or willing to donate monetarily, um, well, you can donate prayers, man. Uh, we need prayers more than we need anything else. God will provide for us, uh, but we ask that you wa- approach the throne of God on our behalf. Um, it will be a good way to practice praying, too. Just get on the get on hook with God and talk about um, men in the world, this movement, uh, the work that we're doing, the ministry of the men that are on the podcast, all those different things, the guys who are on the podcast all the time who are studying for ministry, any prayers you can send up on our behalf, man, we would appreciate them. Second two things is that uh, the Gird Up Men's Retreat is coming very soon. It's a Gird Up Collegiate Men's Retreat. It's going to be up at Camp Phillip on November 12th to the 14th. You can find all the information on the Gird Up website. I'll put that link down in the description below. Click on it. Go get your information. Get your ticket. There's only 50 spots available. And it's going to be a great time. We're going to talk a lot about purpose and legacy. Um, and it's going to be it's it's going to be a good one. Uh, you are not going to want to miss it. And the last thing, fellas, is we are now offering mentoring services or life coaching. If you look looking for it. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a young guy or an old guy. Um, it's not necessarily going to be me working with you. So um, if you reach out to us and you tell us the needs that you have, we're going to do our best to match you up with somebody um, who can do a good job of, of advocating for you, helping you advocate for yourself, and uh, helping you bring some order to the chaos, like I said earlier. So um, let us know how we can be of help to you, and we're going to keep being keeping in assistance in any way we possibly can. Uh, before we get started with the show here, I'm going to say a quick prayer. We're going to go into the intro, and then you're going to hear from myself and Dr. Ben Coles. We pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for bringing Dr. Coles here uh, to sit with us and to speak with us today. Thank you for the blessing that Dr. Coles is in his daily life with his family and with his ministry over at Bethany Lutheran College. We pray that you continue to bless lots and lots of people through his work, uh, both now and in the future, as he continues to train people who are going to be helpers uh, for those who need it and those who are in need. Uh, We pray that you guide our conversation today, uh, that it might be one that is beneficial and fruitful for the people that are listening to it and fruitful for both of us as well. We pray that we speak the truth boldly and speak only the truth, Lord. If it's not true, help us not to say it. We lift it all up to you. Uh, We pray that you establish the work of our hands for us. In your name we pray. Amen. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. And our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to be the men that God created them to be. So roll up your sleeves, gentlemen, and gird up. It's time to get to work. All right, 
guest today, uh, Dr. Ben Coles. Hey, Charlie. Welcome. How's it going? I'm living the dream, man. Living the dream. <laughs> it's a beautiful day today, so it's I'm gorgeous. really thankful for that. It's beautiful. Last week, uh, when I was in Orlando, Florida, for a Christian counseling conference, um, I was standing outside waiting for an Uber. I wasn't moving, and I was just sweating. <laughs> just standing there sweating because it was like 90 degrees and a thousand percent humidity and so coming back to minnesota here was a a wonderful refreshing change for sure yeah yeah what were you doing down in orlando well um just so it's the american association of christian counselors it's a, probably the largest christian counseling organization in the world and every two years they have a world conference um, so I don't remember how many different countries were represented there, but, um, there was about 7,000 people that attended the conference wow. and they range from, uh, lay counselors, uh, pastoral counselors, uh, chaplains all the way, you know, through, you know, licensed professional mental health people, social workers, psychologists, uh, counselor educators, all of that. So it's a, huge range of professionals but they're all there um to to borrow your term because they love jesus and uh (laughs) and and they and they want to serve others and so it's a opportunity for refreshment and continuing education so i was there uh in my role as the uh, clinical director for graduate studies at bethany lutheran college um, we train clinical mental health counselors in our master's program there so i was at AACC, uh, representing the, the college, talking about our program, talking about how we're educating our students from a Christian worldview in the profession of counseling, um, and then just sharing some good collegial time with uh, some of the other counselors that I also work alongside at Christian Family Solutions. Oh, awesome. Well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about Christian Family, or about CFS. Yeah, yeah. So I've been... Uh, a part of Christian Family Solutions since uh, 2018. Um, I joined them as a program director for child and adolescent services, and I was doing some adjunct teaching at Bethany Lutheran College at that time. And, um, you know, the Lord had different plans, and so that actually ended up reversing as Bethany pursued uh, launching a, a master's program in mental health. So then I stepped back from my full-time role at Christian Family Solutions, but I still uh, maintain a caseload of uh, clients that I work with. Uh, I provide supervision to counselors uh, that are working on licensing. So that just means that they meet with me every week, review their cases. We talk about theory and practice and making sure they're taking good care of themselves, all that kind of stuff. And then I provide some consultation to the agency at large just on their practices of Christian integration with mental health counseling. Awesome. So um, why do you, do you maintain a, a client base just so that you like are still in the field or like why do you, because you're teaching and you have mm-hmm. a lot on your plate, why yeah. do you maintain a client? Um, well, because I don't want to give up my professional identity as a counselor. I, I mean, that's that's why I do what I do. Everything that I do is because I love, uh, I just love working with people. Um, and, you know, my background is in ministry. And I decided that the ministry training that I was in was, like, just too broad. And I wanted to 
I wanted to be more specific. I wanted to be more, I don't know, I'll, I'll use the word in the trenches with people um, and in a one-on-one kind of ministry. And so then I pursued counseling. So counseling has just been a huge part of who I am as a professional and, and it means a lot to me personally and I feel called to do that. Um, so I don't, I mean, it's going to be hard for me to, if I ever have to give that up someday because of competing priorities or something like that. But right now, um, yeah, it's, it's really valuable to me as a professional, but you're absolutely right. It makes me a better educator when I'm working with people in the counseling room still. Um, it's, it's hard. I've had faculty in, in my education that haven't seen a client in 10 years. Um, so it just it keeps things relevant. Yeah. So what exactly does uh, like, um, especially if you've never really been to a counselor, yeah. um, I, it can be really confusing about like what is a like a therapist versus a counselor versus what like what 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 are what do counselors do? Yeah, that's a great question, and there's not a straightforward answer to it, uh, just because there are so many different uh, different professions within the field of helping. So I use kind of helping as an umbrella category uh, because that's who we are. Um, whether you're a social worker, whether you're a psychologist, a physician, a counselor, like we're helpers. And I, I really stress that in the early education with the students in the master's program too. Like your identity first is as a helper. And I think that sets people's mind in the right frame of reference as they are more apt to come alongside people and help them um, rather than feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm this professional that has to like do something to or for, you know, the client or the person that I'm seeing. So, so it's really grounded in being a helper. And then the, some of the terms are really interchangeable, like therapist, psychotherapist, mental health counselor, all of those. I, I mean, it, it just depends upon, I don't know, the setting or my mood or whatever. Um, But I think oftentimes people think of uh, a therapist as more professional and the term counselor gets used for lots of different things. I mean, uh, you could be a camp counselor, you know, or a school counselor or something, you know, and there's just such a range. So being a counselor doesn't necessarily mean um, that, um, you know, like I'm a licensed professional, but that that is the term like in minnesota my license is as a licensed professional clinical counselor lpcc so the, the term counselor is right there but um therapy counseling it's all i mean like i said that's kind of interchangeable yeah so obviously you have your doctorate um do most counselors have that kind of advanced degree or no no um so you can you can be a mental health practitioner kind of a skills worker somebody that practices like certain behaviors or certain skills you can do that as a bachelor's level person so maybe you get your bachelor's in uh, psychology or human services or something like that but in order to be a a licensed counselor you do need to get a master's degree Um, so that's you know two three years usually is what it takes folks to do that Um, and then there's stuff after like after you get your degree in order to work towards that license but no, the, the getting a terminal degree, like a doctorate, um, is something that is really only in the, 
only necessary when you want to teach. And, okay. and so that's something that was really important to me. It was encouraged when I got out of school. I was like, I'm never going back. I never, <laughs> I never want to sit in a classroom again. I never want to take another test. Um, but after being in the field for three years, uh, then that's when I went back to get my doctorate. So it super thankful that I had that privilege and opportunity to do that. And it's, um, definitely been a blessing for me and for the, the for the people that I work for and, and the people that I work with, uh, the education and training that I received in my doctorate program was invaluable. So, but it's not, not necessary. A psychologist, yeah, they do need a doctorate there. Um, that's required, but not to be a mental health counselor. Yeah. Okay. So, um, obviously mental health is something that's kind of come like maybe, I don't want to say it's come on the scene lately, but it's definitely (laughs) been getting a lot more attention, especially Christian counseling. Um, especially as you see like some of the developments in the, I don't know what the word is in, in the mental health field. Sure. Um, very much often not from a Christian perspective, um, and growing more and more. So it seems, um, and so a lot of these things, I don't, so, I guess the perception is that in the last few years, well, it's also uh, legitimately statistically true that like depression is on the rise, mm-hmm. anxiety is on mm-hmm. the rise, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I have a couple different questions. The first is, um, one, is this like a new phenomena that's developing or is it like something that has been that way all the time and is just now being um, like identified? And two, um, to what well, I guess let's answer that one first and then yeah. I'll follow up. Yeah. Um, so the illustration that I typically like to use with that is uh, actually a military one. Um, so, you know, you go all the way back to World War One, and um, they, were, they were having troops coming back from, from war and emotionally, psychologically, physically, like just really struggling. Um, and... You know, there was this term shell shocked. I don't know if that's familiar to you, but it was kind of a common term uh, used to try and describe what was happening, um, kind of referring to the head like as our as our shell and that it had been shocked by what it had seen and experienced. And then it was having all these kind of difficulties as a result of that. So even back then, um, and I, I mean, we could go way back into history, but I'm not a historian, so I won't do that. Um of different descriptions of mental and emotional health and wellness and ailment, both of those. So, but from, again, from that military perspective, it was of great benefit to the U S government and the military to try and figure out what was going on here and try and keep these guys healthy. So one, they could continue to serve. Right. And, and two, so that, they could continue to recruit because if it's like, oh, all these guys are coming back and they're not really doing very well, I don't want to do that, right? So, um, so then that term shell shocked uh, transitioned into lots of other different terms over the decades um, till we get to where we're at today with the diagnostic and t- statistic manual uh, refers to that as post traumatic stress disorder, and we have a really uh, pretty clear understanding of what that is, how it affects people, and some really uh, strong evidence-based ways to treat that and help people. So you can kind of see there's this uh, progression um, as we have studied, learned, researched, tried to treat, tried to help um, to get more and more refined with that. Now, 
are is PTSD more prevalent today than it was say after World War One or World War Two? I I don't have an answer for that. Um, but a lot of times when we have when we have language to describe something more the more clear we can be um then the more we see it the more we recognize it and because it's important because we're paying attention to it um i think that's where we see more prevalence now in issues like depression and anxiety um you know that we can go way back again in time and and there you know the term melancholia was used um to describe kind of this depressed state, um, this apathy, this emptiness. Um, but again, through research, different models of helping, we, we've arrived at kind of a few different ways of describing people's emotional state when they're not doing well. And one of those is major depressive disorder. Um, there's also persistent depressive disorder, order, bipolar disorder, all these different things. But um, Again, as the language has gotten refined, I think we're better at identifying it. And then there's been a lot of advocacy around mental health to bring people's attention to it. Um, but some some interesting, I guess, content that I've been looking at and reading lately is really the 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 rise of social media and and smartphone use. And how that correlates with the increased levels of uh, anxiety and depression in in our our youngest generation, um, and sometimes they get called iGen um, because of the iPhone, right? That's how ubiquitous it is. Um, but yeah, millennials, Gen Zers, uh, definitely are like, and and then the the generation behind Gen Z, like we're seeing some of the. Um, I guess worst mental health outcomes, and uh, that that I mean it's it's scary to me. I've spent most of my career in counseling, working with children and adolescents, and I've seen how much they already have to deal with in terms of uh, you know trauma, uh, issues of neuro neurodiversity, and how those affect affect their social relationships and their functioning in school, and and now we've got these. Uh, um, you know, these computers that they're walking around with in their pocket that they have access to absolutely everything all the time um, and a real decrease in meaningful social connectedness. So I think there's a lot of factors here that are contributing to just a general erosion of mental health. And so I think that's the best answer that I can give at this point is that thing, things are getting a bit worse in terms of our mental health and what we're doing, even in spite of all the advocacy and in increased opportunities for treatment. Yeah. Well, you brought two things to mind, like as you were talking is one, like I've heard that before too. And even the idea that maybe, and this is all conjecture, but maybe one of the big things, especially in regards to isolation and going mm -hmm. back to the PTSD idea too, is um, like in, in that day and age, Especially on your way home, like you would sit, like after World War II, they kind of all just sat there in either Europe or Japan for a couple of months before they came home, and then you're on a ship, and then so on and so forth. And the idea was, like maybe, 
like just the fact that they're around other people who have mm-hmm. gone with them through this whole experience and now they can almost debrief each other on the other end mm-hmm. um and may- maybe that is something that was helpful but it speaks to the idea of being isolated as well mm-hmm. um and uh both like with you know the military i mean you're in iraq one day and you're at home the next you know yeah it really can be that quick yeah um or you know I, even in just like daily life you know like you're in a situation that you know causes some sort of trauma and then you remove yourself from that situation and most of the time now you're isolated because you're moved to a new and you know it's becoming more and more difficult to make friends and more and more difficult to make meaningful connections and uh one of the most terrifying things um is like one of the um i don't remember who who said it but very prominent psychologist recently just straight up said the most dangerous mental health issue men face is loneliness Hmm. more than anything else um but it's just the reality that a lot of us don't have a close circle of friends or even like we've got friends in quotation marks right Mm -hmm. but nobody that Mm -hmm. like knows our heart nobody that we are intimately you know connected to yeah Uh, just kind of interesting thing to to well and and time and time again in in the research that i uh that i read um that that continues to be published like social connectedness social support in and we can define what that means is the biggest predictor of uh, positive mental health and really our physical health too but uh, mental health especially related to our social connectedness and so the the more connected we are uh, the better we do and yeah, so I just uh, presented an essay at uh, a symposium for uh, pastors and in the some of the research that I was reading there was a recent survey done I think it was 700 maybe it was 900 church leaders, I can't remember, but 51% said either they were uh, feelings severely isolated or moderately isolated. And as pastors, these are folks that are around people all the time, right? That's their whole purpose is to be around people. So social connectedness is not just about being around people. And I think it really um, hinges on what you were just saying, like having a, a, a deeper connection and social media, um, Zoom, and Google Hangouts, all of these things have been fantastic tools for us throughout this pandemic to be able to maintain our connections. Um, But that's really all it's doing. It's like we're just trying to hold on to what we have. We're not really growing necessarily. We're not really building those relationships. Um, And that happens in in face-to-face, in-person, kind of like like long form conversations with people where you can you can go wherever and that that's the ground that provides an opportunity for self-disclosure and allowing yourself to be known to someone else and to and to know someone else yeah that well it immediately brings to mind like well i say Having being a guy who studied for ministry, right? Yeah, these are not the most comfortable chairs in the world. <laughs> no, we're good. We're good. I'm gonna uh, raise this up. The uh, uh, but uh, as as somebody who studied for the ministry and, and very much loves and enjoys my brothers who are now in ministry all yeah. over the world. Yeah, like I feel that you know, or you very much maintaining those relationships until you can be together again. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been really fascinating to me to watch, like. I mean, I've got three or four guys that I just refer to as my brothers. I don't have any brothers by blood. Mm. You know, so they're the closest thing that I've got. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me how almost always the one with whom I'm in the closest physical proximity yeah. becomes the one who then is most dominant in my 
like hierarchy of friends, if you mm-hmm. will. Yeah. Uh, which is a real thing. We don't need it to is. be bashful yeah. about talking about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then it'll be like one of them will like come back to the state for a week or two, and then you see them and you're around them, and all of a sudden they shoot right back up to the top, mm-hmm. and then you just like slowly but surely. It, it's really an interesting to th- thing to think about. Uh, but what also was brought to my mind then was like especially like dating apps and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and how easy it is to build a like almost a synthetic like intimacy with someone that you really don't even know. And sometimes it works out in the long run, right? Yep. yep. Uh, but a lot of times it it's really difficult too. Um, and, and in our world of connectedness, I think that those not necessarily long distance, but even like moderately long distance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. intermittent maybe mm-hmm. relationships that depend so heavily on, on technology. Um, I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't really have a question attached to that. It's just an observation of that it's becoming more, and it's a challenge. It it's is really proven to be a challenge for me. Yeah. I, you know, I've been thinking, I mean, I've just been thinking a lot about this um, over the past couple of years. And I mean, and I can say a couple of years now, I think, because I'm, I'm kind of referencing the pandemic, really, when I say that, like, um, that's just created so many new, I'm going to rephrase that, not new, but it's heightened challenges that were already there. It just exploded them and made and really heightened them and made them worse so we were already disconnecting in a intimate personal way from people Um, we were already moving towards uh, categorizing people in our lives based on what they're posting on social media or what who who they're following or you know what influencer you know any of those terms like we were already moving toward that kind of categorical categorical and polarized view of people and i think the pandemic really accelerated that and and we've been suffering because of it so as as it's been possible um i've just been really thinking about how can how can i be an encourager for connectedness connectedness in my own life um and then connectedness in the lives of other people so i'll tell two stories one this is really what um, the podcast that I host, the WellMind podcast, this is really the uh, inflection point for me to decide to actually do that. So I, it's something that I've been thinking about. Uh, similar to you, Charlie, I enjoyed consuming podcasts. Like it was a, a favorite form of media for me because I could really curate a pretty broad and diverse range of topics and ideas and voices. And um, it was really informative and fulfilling for me to do that. And And then I felt like, well, maybe I could contribute something. Um, and I think that's kind of what you were thinking too. Like maybe, maybe there's something that I can contribute here through sharing my voice and sharing the voices of other people. And so, um, you know, this, this focus on wellness for me and promoting wellness in all aspects. I mean, I've had lots of different people on the well mind and all different, um, backgrounds and professions and experiences, but a, a lot of it comes down to just connecting with people and selfishly I've said this too I I just enjoy talking to people and the podcast gave me an excuse to do that right to people that I wouldn't maybe normally get a chance to talk to or people that I hadn't talked to in a long time it was just a excuse for me to reconnect with them or connect for the first time and then start to develop that that relationship or deepen that relationship so then the other story that I would tell um, is that this uh, past summer it was a, a very busy summer um, as they can be, but 
um, busy in a different kind of sense because I was working towards launching the grad program at Bethany this fall and I did teach a class and those kind of things but I was like I need to get away I need I need a little break here and and my family felt that and we all felt that and and so my my very best friend um he was the best man in my wedding I was the best man in his wedding um we've uh we were roommates in high school we were roommates in college um you know, just a long history uh, together. We're very close, and he lives over in Michigan, and we just, like, we have to get together. Like, we've gotten together here and there, and um, but it's like, let's actually get together. So we um, rented a house, just an Airbnb kind of deal, a big place, and um, they have a bunch of kids, and I have a bunch of kids, and so we just went, and we stayed for a week at this uh, up in like Northern Michigan and just took little day trips. And sometimes we just hung out at the house and it was just like, it was so good to just be right. And just connect and laugh. And I mean, we didn't even have to necessarily do anything. We did, we did, we saw the sites when, you know, had fudge on Mackinac Island and, you know, did some kayaking and stuff like that. But it was in addition to those shared experiences, it was just being together face to face and, that was so fulfilling and enriching, like coming off of that, it was like coming off a high. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So, um, those are two ways, you know, I would say professionally and personally that I've really tried to bring that into focus in this, this past year. Yeah. Well, and and I think, uh, like to an extent, I think everybody can probably get behind what you're talking about, right? Like just being together and, and how important relationships and things are. Um, but we're also talking about a whole nother level of that when you start going into like a clinical practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in my own experience, you know, I, I, I wasn't the most macho of men, but I played college football. I was all about the weights all the time. Like, okay. yeah. um, I remember at one point, um, people are going to hear this and make fun of me for it, but I remember at one point we were at, we were actually at like a men's retreat. Um, and we were like chopping wood and stuff, like taking pictures We referred to it as wife paint, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> it was like, just like the, I mean, and it actually t- kind of ties in with, uh, so the last, uh, as of this recording hasn't been uh, published yet, but the last podcast, the one that'll come before this one was all about wild at heart by John Eldridge. And I'm actually the legalism that goes into that. And the idea of, you know, you got to go into the woods and find yourself and all that. Um, we were just so gung-ho for all of that uh, and what that then, like, I think created in myself and a lot of the guys around is a similar mentality that you'll see in the older generation or maybe even two generations before, like our grandfathers, mm. right? Uh, yeah. Where you're just like, there is no emotion, right? You know, and it just kind of is, like, the emotions that there are are more passion than they are emotion, you know, and, and like, you just, things get bottled up and then you just, you like, more of an attitude of dealing with them and moving on, right? Uh, and what we're seeing as far as like mental health goes is that that's uh, maybe increasingly becoming not <laughs> enough. Maybe I don't know. Can, uh, can you? I don't know. As a guy, it's really difficult sometimes to just say like, "Yep, I need some help figuring this out." Mm, um, and yeah. it's taken a lot for like for me personally. What it's taken is people that I dearly love, like saying to me, either you know, like this isn't okay and you need to, you know, and not necessarily that I like, I hurt them or something, but just like, yo, you are not okay. Yeah. Like go get the help you need or looking at me and saying genuinely, like you're not in a good place. Um, you're struggling. You, 
you just need help. I guess those are kind of both the same thing. But mm-hmm. um, but you have people in your life, Charlie, that are able to hold up that mirror in a I way suppose. that is meaningful to you. Yeah. And that only comes through like deep connection because a person could put something on uh, Instagram and then there could be a whole bunch of comments like, oh, you need help. And what are you talking about? And like, you're not, things are not right for you. And are you going to listen to any of that? I mean, no, no. (laughs) No. So holding up the mirror only happens in the context of a close trusted relationship. And that's something that can't be manufactured and it has to be cultivated over time and with effort and energy and, and a level of vulnerability. And I think that's what kind of the, the, the word that kept coming to mind as you were talking about previous generations of men versus where we're at today and vulnerability is I think a big part because I, in many ways what it means to be a man is it hasn't changed as much as people would like to think that it has and it shouldn't mm-hmm. yeah so so I think I think defining what it means to be a man in terms of like strength of of character can't be about I keep everything inside and I don't talk about it but that I am able to discern when and with whom I can share these things with in a way that's going to be meaningful to me and I think that gets misplaced and when we don't have those close personal relationships, it kind of like comes out in other places then. And, but then we're not, in a, we're not in a setting where we can get feedback on it that we can receive. So in the absence of those relationships that are trusted and, and deep, um, we, it either comes out in terms of like depression or it comes out in... Um, behaviorisms like workaholism or alcoholism or um, abuse of pornography like because we're trying to find this outlet and we're going to all these like very shallow wells and trying to draw from them to feel better and we don't so we need like more than anything we need to refocus on cultivating those close personal relationships in our life that's, okay. that's the starting point, I think. Yeah. Okay, so I want to, yeah. First, how do we do that? <laughs> like, I know that's a huge open-ended loaded question, but like what if, how do we, where do we even start? Yeah. I mean, we're not just talking about, you know, somebody you get a beer with, mm-hmm. you know. You're talking about building, I mean, you were talking about, you know, high school and college together. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, it's not like you haven't seen each other since then, right? Uh, yeah. When I talk yeah. about my, yeah. my brothers, you yep. know. Like I'm talking about guys that I've got ten plus years of, like, over that ten years intimacy the entire time. Yeah. As far as emotional and mental intimacy and being available to each other, um, and and again, technology has really helped with that to build those strong relationships. Mm-hmm. That's not something that can happen overnight. No. Um, so how do like where do you even start? And and, and if I'm in uh, find myself in a moment of crisis, how do I, like, <laughs> you know, I. Yeah, I can just feel a lot of hope. I can without even I can just feel a lot of hopelessness in that, like having been in situations where like I just need somebody to talk to or somebody to reach out to, um, and I, I've been blessed enough to have that. 
but I could feel that hopelessness of like, what if I don't, you know, where do I start? Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I just appreciate you sharing that and also appreciate the question too, because, um, it, it's going to make people pause and think for themselves, hopefully, first, before they listen to anything I might say. <laughs> I hope I hope that you just pause and reflect on that for yourself. Like, if you were in crisis, who would you go to? Where would you go? What would you do? Maybe you're in crisis right now, or maybe you're uh, on the precipice of one. Like, what do you do? Where do you go? Um, so my answer is twofold. Um, one in situations of of crisis you just have to reach out like i don't care who to who it is or what it is just reach out let somebody know um and if that means you know calling a crisis line if it means calling 911 if it means calling your neighbor you know or your pastor um a, a old teacher from school or something like just like reach out to somebody in some way if you're in that position and that's where it's going to start. And you were kind of referencing this before, so I'll try and circle back to it and and talk about it now. And that's going in to see a counselor, going in to see a professional. Everybody feels anxious about that. Whether it's your first time or your fifth time or your hundredth time, everybody gets anxious about going in because, you know, one of the things that I say as a counselor when I'm meeting with somebody for the first time, like it would be strange if you weren't, nervous because you don't know me I don't know you you don't know how this is going to go what are we going to talk about what is this going to be like there's you know a thousand and one questions and and you're here because you just need some help and so the way I look at it is that first time sitting down with somebody is just an opportunity for me to get to know you and for you to know me and for us to say what's going on and what can we do about it? Not that we're going to have all these answers. Not, not, it's not, oh, put this Band-Aid on and take this pill and do this exercise three times a week, you know, for 30 minutes a day. You know, no. Like, it's just, let's just get to know each other, right? And, and it starts with forming a relationship. And that's so fundamental to who I am as a counselor. Like, <clears throat> and I think something that I try and in part to the students in the in our grad program too is like you need to be able to form a relationship with this person and it's a it's a unique and special relationship that is different from any other relationship that they're going to have with somebody because this is all for them any other relate like with our brothers um, with our family those are reciprocal relationships Uh, it's a give and take a counseling relationship isn't like that it's just i'm here for you And I'm going to walk with you and however long I need to walk or wherever we need to walk or go, like we're going to do that. Um, And so from a professional sense, that, that resource is available and please take it. Like, even if you just go in for a check-in, you know, maybe you're not doing so bad, but maybe you're not doing great either. Um, There was a New York times article that came out in the last year by Adam Grant and, uh, it was on languishing. It was shared a, oh, so many times. Um, but it's a really good article, and it really helps clarify that our wellness is not categorical. It's not either I'm sick and I need help or I'm thriving. But there's a whole space in between that that we 
fluctuate in and it's fluid and so this um languishing kind of term that he used it's this kind of gray foggy like meh you know i don't really care and like that's not a great place to live so let's do something about it the other thing that i would say is like a more contemporary example for me as as guys we connect side by side rather than face to face more often than not and i think we're face to face today this is the way the microphones work (laughs) yeah um but i think uh you know this is this is unique Uh, most of the time guys like doing stuff side by side and that that it's just creating the opportunity for connection doing that side by side thing doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get connected but it provides the opportunity so so show up to something like do something be a part of something where you're side by side with some guys that share in something that you're interested in and for me when i moved from florida to sioux falls like i didn't know anybody i anybody and i was in a new job and i was starting a new um, educational program and like, but there, after, I don't know, it was like being there a year or two, maybe there was a new running store that opened up and I was like, I'm going to go. They were having some group runs and I'm kind of an introverted guy, but I was like, I'm going to just go. And, you know, it was like four or five people is a new thing. And I started just running with them. And week after week, I just kind of kept showing up and it was all new for them as a new store and lots of people were coming and then some would come back and some wouldn't but through that time i got to know some really good people some brothers and sisters and it all started with just showing up and letting myself be known as well as trying to get to know others through that side-by-side activity of going for a run for four or five miles and coming back getting some water and just chit-chatting and then saying i'll see you next week Um, and I think that's a really helpful template that gets reproduced in lots of different areas. And I mean, we could talk about CrossFit, we could talk about all different like clubs and gyms and all of that. But it just starts with like, I got to pick something and show up to it. Okay. Yeah, I love that. I well, And so I talk a lot about um, uh, like circles of friendship and the idea that like you do need lots of people to be your acquaintances right Mm -hmm. Um, and you're never gonna have you know close friendships without acquaintances and you're never gonna have intimate friendships without some close friendships first like it's something you have to build and then like um maintain and do so very intentionally Mm -hmm. right um and i do i think that's a great piece of wisdom just like just a place to start yeah it's just find something that you enjoy and you want to do and other people want to do too yeah and now i've been here uh in minnesota for a few years and i kind of went through the same thing like I was like, oh, I, I knew some people here, but not super well. And so it's just been a process. But let me tell you, Sioux Falls is only two and a half hours away. And so there have been many Saturday mornings <laughs> where I get up at four o'clock and I drive over and I meet with them and we run and then we get get some brunch and then I come home. And like, yeah, it was five hours in the car for you know, three hours of social time or something that's that well worth that investment yeah yeah absolutely okay so your podcast is called the well mind yeah right 
Um, So the obvious question then, the low-hanging fruit here is how do I know if my (laughs) mind isn't well, right? So we're talking about all these awesome resources that anybody can take part in, like just having those close friendships. And those are wonderful and those are good and they're going to do a lot of good for you and are even going to reduce your likelihood and then even the severity of any issues that might Mm -hmm. arise. Um, But there, it comes a point where that's not enough or where you could use additional help, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I know mm-hmm. at what point is my mind now not well um, so that I seek out the, the assistance? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could, you can go on, you know, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. You can go um, to Mental Health America. There, I mean, there's countless top 10 lists of things that to pay attention to for your, uh, for your mental health and like here warning signs and all of these. And so, you know, we, we can, we can list those out in, in, in terms of like low mood and, um, you know, having anxiety over things that you're not maybe able to exactly pinpoint what you're anxious about. You know, like if you have a big speech coming up and you feel anxious about it, it's like, well, okay, that's normal. But if you just are kind of carrying around, like, this kind of tension and worry and it's and you're not able to say oh this is what that's about like you know that that's that's a dashboard light that's a um, term that I'll use a lot with people is like when you're driving and like your check engine light comes on that's alerting you to something and so but not everybody pulls over when their check engine light comes on they're like oh it's probably nothing or I just didn't get get the gas cap on or something when I filled up, but then another check, another light will come on. Maybe it's a low tire light or maybe it's the oil light or maybe, I don't know. I drive a Toyota and Toyota is like, I don't, they are overkill on the dashboard alerts. Like just when I need to change my oil, three different things come on and it's like, you need to take care of this right now. Um, so because I think that's a recognition that when one light comes on, we don't really pay attention to it. I think the same thing is true for our, our mental health, our emotional wellness is like, we kind of ignore things. And, um, especially this was another point in that languishing article is like when it's not so bad that we're like not able to show up for work, you know, or like we, um, you know, we're, we just failed the big exam in my class or something like that, or like, um, a relationship just ended, you know, like there are some big things that sometimes happen in our life that like shock us into like, Oh, I have to pay attention to this. But generally it can be kind of this erosion that happens. And so I think having a good, um, practice of checking in with yourself, um, and that can be physically, it, it ought to be physically, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, like relationally, like, how am I doing? What am I, where am I at right now? What are my feelings and what are my feelings about? And, um, what is my spiritual life? Like, am, am I spending time in prayer in devotion? Am I, uh, spending time in God's word? Like, am I doing these things or am I not? Or, and when I do them, what is it like for me? And so having this process of kind of checking in and I call it self-monitoring, like just monitor yourself so that you are alerted to when those dashboard lights do start going off. So, you know, if you're having like any chain, big changes in like appetite, changes in weight, changes in sleep patterns, 
um, changes in your ability to remember things or focus and concentrate that are like, I was able to do it this way, and now all of a sudden it's not like that anymore. When, when there are these big kind of shifts and something is now different, I need to pay attention to that and try and discern what, that, what that's about. I've heard feelings described a similar way too. And this idea of like, if you're not willing to feel your feelings, mm-hmm. and I think there's a huge movement right now in like kind of counter, counter the victimhood culture. You know, the, you get bo- books and I haven't read the book, so maybe it's a good book, but you have books out there like F your feelings and things like that. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah. Um, and, and frankly, like having listened to a lot of podcasts and things where those authors are talking, mm-hmm. like I, they're probably not like, that's probably not what they're actually saying. You know, it's more the idea of like, stop being a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, on the other hand, then we also do have a huge problem, especially with guys that are like really leaning into the machismo side of masculinity, right? Mm. Um, where you're like, essentially any, f- any feelings or emotions or whatever start to feel like weakness, right? Mm. Um, and that's like, so I went out, which is me saying the podcast a lot is feel your feelings, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and, but using those then as a tool, like God gave them to you for a reason. They weren't, yeah. they're not a result of sin. It's something you've been programmed with from the beginning, even in the perfection of Eden, you know, like they immediately felt shame. So they must've had emotion and feelings before yeah. that, you know, if they were full of joy anyway. Um, but you know, like not just like bottling up feelings and things, feeling those and then figuring out if you can, you know, like, why do I feel this way? Yeah. You know, like, well, from like an emotional wellness standpoint, having emotional wellness doesn't mean only having positive feelings. Emotional wellness doesn't also mean turning off my feelings. And, and I've certainly listened to some of the, the new stoics, you know, and, and how they talk about things. Yeah. Um, but emotional wellness is about, first of all, just recognizing and being able to name what your feelings are and then to express them in a way that's, con- I'll, I'll use a counseling term, congruent with um, the current situation. So if like I tip over my water bottle here and it spills on the floor, but then I throw the table against the wall and I start losing my cookies, like that emotional expression is not congruent with me just tipping over my water bottle but also they can go the other way too where i have a loved one that's really sick and in the hospital or something and i don't really feel anything at all or i'm like oh that's too bad and then i just kind of move on with my day that's not really congruent either so being able to identify and name your your feelings and then express them in a way that's congruent with the situation and and then lastly is to cope with them rather than be ruled by them, which I think is what you're talking about or, um, avoid them. Like we just need to deal with them. That's, that's the reality of how I'm feeling. It's a source of information for me. Um, you know, if we're created in God's image and we see when Christ walked around on the earth and in his human, in his humanity, like he had lots of feelings. And no, he didn't sin in those feelings. Those feelings in and of themselves were not sinful. Um, A common, again, thing that I'll say is um, all feelings are permissible, but not all behavior is permissible. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So you can feel however you want to feel or however you do feel like that's okay. But then let's, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. Like, so that those kind of things aren't ruling you or that you're not so uh, intimidated by them that you you just shut them off and avoid them. Yeah. 
Okay, I would. I mean, I would love to go di- segue here. <laughs> yep. Segue warning. The I would love to dive into like social media and the things and the effects of that on a brain, but it's maybe maybe we need to do this again. <laughs> um, but yeah. the uh, um, moving a little bit here, I guess, toward more toward the mental illness side of things. Sure. Um, and because that, I mean, it seems to be growing as well, at least as far as diagnoses go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And. Um, so one of the things that I've noticed in myself, and especially in the, in the guys around me of all ages, um, is a difficulty in recognizing and appreciating necessarily what's going on inside the brain. I think we all understand like the chemistry of it, or at least if you, I mean, if you get a high school diploma, you pretty much do probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you mm-hmm. paid attention to class at least. Hopefully. Anyway, <laughs> um, but you, um, and while all of these like socially related you know, issues are continuing to grow. Um, there's another, and maybe they're not totally separate categories, but the, then you also have like the, um, I mean, like I look at my own family and even the people attached to my family in a lot of cases, you have like even generational mental illness and mm, things. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that is, like you look at both sides of my family, there's history of mental illness. So it's something <laughs> you're really cognizant of, right? Yeah. Um, but when I start interacting with people and, and even loving people, you know, my friends and, and everything too, who have, you know, like clinical depression or have like anxiety disorders um, or who have, you know, or maybe like a manic depressive or something like that mm-hmm. where they're up and down all the time or, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a few interactions with people who are bi- like functional bipolars and things mm-hmm. like that. It's really difficult to maybe understand and appreciate what's going on. So do you have any words for guys who just want to do a better job of not even necessarily loving those people, though that's definitely a case, but even just like working with them, not necessarily helping even, just like being alongside them. Um, like how do you, if I, myself personally, like obviously I've, I've been depressed and anxious at, anxious at times. Sure. That's a whole different thing than like having depression, yeah. right? Or, you know, being socially anxious or whatever. So how do we, yeah, maybe best practices or something. Like what, what, yeah. what? Because it's so I don't understand because yeah. I've never dealt with it. Well, there there seems to be kind of two two parts to what you're saying here. One is like from an outside perspective, kind of approaching somebody that um, maybe is at a point where they're struggling with, or um, maybe they're in a phase of uh, recovery from like an acute mental health need, um, like approaching them, but then also. I don't know, maybe the other part you're kind of talking about here is like discerning when, when is my experience of, uh, mental health kind of cross over into mental illness. I don't know. Maybe I think even though like, I mean, you get a lot of the conversations of like, well, why don't you just like stop feeling that way mm-hmm. or, you know those kinds mm-hmm. of conversations i think mm-hmm. is what i'm more leaning to okay um or just like not understanding like i just i don't know what you're going through i don't understand yeah. how you're feeling i don't get it um you know that's actually a really great place to start though um honestly charlie like if you can take a stance of not knowing because then that's going to help you be non-judgmental and and that's a th- this is i don't know if it's a fault of sin well, it is probably a fault of sin, <laughs> but it's it's also a little bit just how our brain is kind of hardwired. Like we, our brain is really good at just seeing something and labeling it and like moving on. Like our brain doesn't like things that it it doesn't 
know or can't figure out, you know, like that sometimes you'll see something out of your corner of your eye, right? And you'll kind of be like, what, what is that? And then, but as soon as you figure it out, like then you can just move on from it, right? So our brain doesn't like things that it, it, that are incomplete. And so we're really good at just kind of seeing something and labeling it and then moving on. But when it comes to interacting with other people, humans, um, that can be a really hurtful and painful thing to do. And, you know, you see somebody, you're, you know, you're at the grocery store or whatever, and maybe that person is having a hard time and they're really upset. Maybe it's a little kid that's having a hard time and is really upset. And you think in your head, what's wrong with his parents, you know, or that guy's a jerk. You know, you think that like in a split second, like, so you have to call yourself back from that when you hear yourself thinking that and seeing that to take a stance of, I wonder what's going on for that person. I wonder what's happened or what's happening for that person that they're struggling right now in that spot. Because that, then that non-judgmental stance paves the way and opens the door for us to actually have empathy for somebody. And so if we can take that, I don't get it, I don't know, and, and go a little bit further so that we're non-judgmental and we just see, hey, that person's having a hard time. I wonder what's going on. You know, maybe we offer a kind word um, or we offer, is there anything I can do to help you right now? Like, you know, or we can't get involved. Maybe it's not the right time or thing, but we stop and we pause and we pray. We just say a prayer for that person or for the people that are interacting with them for that, that mom or that dad that's having a hard time with their kiddo. Like then we say a prayer for them. Then that empathy turns into compassion mm-hmm. and, and we're acting in compassion rather than in judgment. Yeah. I've talked about that too, especially with a couple of buddies and a couple of things that have come up recently is, you know, there's a reason the Lord tells us to pray for our enemies. Like you can't hate somebody you're praying mm-hmm. for. It doesn't, they don't mm-hmm. work side by side. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's a good word. Um, maybe I think I want to lean a little bit more towards like people that we are connected to, like maybe sure. friends, family, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they start struggling with, you know, whether it's depression yeah. or anxiety, those types of things, um, maybe how do we, how do we love them best? I know that's a really broad question. Yeah. It's going to be person to person, but maybe what are the building blocks? If I, if I have any students that end up listening to this, they're going to love this. I'm going to say it depends because <laughs> they hear me say that all yeah. the time, all the yeah. time. It depends. Um, you know what? Um, when I was doing outpatient, uh, counseling, uh, back in Sioux Falls, I would get, uh, parents of, uh, adult children, right? Their, their kids are grown. They're out of the house. They're on their own. Um, maybe there's a grandkid involved or something like that. Maybe not, but their, their adult child is really struggling with, you know, some addiction issues or mental health issues or both. And, and they're like, we don't, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know how to love this person. We've opened our home to them and they've taken advantage of that. We've, uh, you know, shut them off and they've ended up in jail or, you know, in an accident or, you know, and so it's like, we don't know what to do. And so like, I, I have 
I have just such uh, a heart for those parents because at the end of the day, they're also kind of thinking, what did I do wrong? You know? And so I think even as like within a family, siblings, um, you know, it's like, what, what else could I have done to kind of prevent this or stop this from happening? That that's usually a question that comes up at some point. Um, and the vast majority of time people are doing the best that they can with what they know at that moment. Now there are definitely some times when people are, um, they're not doing the best that they can, maybe because of their own mental behavioral struggles. Maybe they've been abusive emotionally, verbally, something like that. And that's has contributed to that person's difficulty or struggle. So that's a different conversation about, um, repentance, making amends, um, fruit, fruits of repentance, those kind of things. That's a different conversation. But, but when generally people are doing the best that they can to, to love their brother, their sister, their son, their daughter, their, their mom, their dad, whatever, um, it's, it's going to be a mix of knowing where your boundaries are, like what, what am I able to do and what am I not able to do? What can I tolerate? And what can I not tolerate? Like, and that's going to be changing. Like you can't have rigid boundaries. Some, some need to be super, super clear, um, so that people don't get hurt or you don't get taken advantage of, but boundaries are a starting place that can help promote safety in relationships and security. But then, you know, we need to be flexible with those two and say, okay, I know I, I said, I'm not going to give you money, but maybe I can help you out by paying for this thing or whatever, you know, like, so boundaries are a starting point. But then the other part is like you, if you're in a position of caring for or supporting somebody else that has mental health needs, especially if they're chronic, if they're just ongoing, like you have to make sure that you are getting some support for yourself for that, because you're, you're just kind of pouring out for that person. You're probably, it's, you know, it's like a parent with a child, like you pour way more into that child than you ever get back from that child. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But there are moments when, you know, little Johnny looks up and you go, I love you, daddy, you know, and it's like, all right, I got something there, you know, but, but it's not a a one-to-one kind of ratio. So when you're caring for somebody or you're supporting somebody, like you need to have other people that are kind of in your corner and that get it, that, that are willing to support you and not judge you for, being that support person for them. Like, Oh, um, like, why do you put up with that? Or, you know, you should just write them off or something, you know, like they make the kind of these blanket statements and you're like, no, I know it's not good, but I have, I love this person. I care for them. So I'm not willing to just be done. Um, so it, it's, I'm really trying to kind of cover the bases here because it is such a broad question, but it is a combination of both knowing and having your boundaries and making those really clear, but also having some flexibility, but then having some people that are going to get it and support you as you are doing those acts of love for this person that's struggling. Yeah. Well, I bet there's an overwhelming theme about what you've talked about. It's, it's, I don't know fellowship is the right word, but community, you know, Um, and having a community of like, maybe not even like-minded but maybe like mindseted people um mm-hmm. who are very much going to be you know going to love on you as you love on everybody else mm-hmm. um yeah you know one of the 
and I don't know, maybe can I segue? Is that, sure. is that yeah. allowed? All awesome. right. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things, this is a comment. So I delivered this essay um, to the symposium earlier this week. And um, one of the comments that I got, because there was a question or something about brotherhood and, and I use the term accountability partner. Um, and that's something that, you know, comes up. I don't, I'm sure that's come up on your podcast at some point, right. <laughs> In a variety of different contexts. And, um, and then, uh, you know, and I was using that in reference to somebody really struggling with a specific behavior and really trying to hard to change that behavior, but it has a lot of momentum in their life. And so they need somebody that they can just be honest with and reach out and like, Hey, I had a lapse with this thing, or I'm really feeling tempted or struggling with this thing, or, um, maybe I'm not struggling with it and I need somebody to kind of give me a good swift kick or something like that. Right. But, um, the comment was, I think we need, we also need, um, a, a Barnabas or we need Barnaby in our life, I think is what the <laughs> comment was. Um, and that's, you know, not just somebody that's going to help us be accountable, but also somebody that's going to be an encourager and, and somebody that's going to be a supporter. And so I think they're, I just appreciated that comment because it, again, just reminded me and brought into clarity that we need balance in these relationships too. It's not somebody that's just showing tough love all the time, but it's somebody that can just be present for us and, and offer support, offer encouragement. Um, and, and I think that, I think that's a really critical piece too. And so I don't know what the conversations in previous episodes of gird up have been about accountability partners but um that you know something that i think is uh is really important for us to have people well i well one of the things we have talked about a lot is the idea that an accountability partner isn't law like it's somebody that's walking alongside you and also has like a similar vision for where you're going right so if it is pornography like um, yeah, you're going to talk about that and you're going to check in and you're going to mm-hmm. have sometimes pointed conversations about it and you better be honest with them. Um, but at the same time, like, it's not like the only thing you ever touch base on or talk about is, you know, your addiction, yeah. you know, um, it's, you're doing life together and you also make sure you talk once a week. And as a part of that conversation, you know, like when, one of my, um, uh, when I, so I, I talk about anything and everything. So when I was really struggling with pornography as an, as an adult, um, cause I kind of had different phases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things that like we would, one of my guys would call me every Saturday morning, no matter what, call me every Saturday morning. And that was the first thing we talked about. Like, we'd have an hour long conversation mm. and maybe the first five minutes we'd just be like, okay, tell me, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. how's the, you know, how is it? How are you? Have you done any of these things this week? What's going on? Mm-hmm. What happened? What were the circumstances mm-hmm. surrounding? all that and so like made me reflect made me think um and also forced me to be honest um and then like accountability software and things like that it only goes so far but it is a useful tool in there too sure. they're like hey notice there wasn't any history on your computer for that day is that true you didn't use your computer once you know mm-hmm. that kind of a thing and uh just being able to push back and forth and then um there was a no- like usually wouldn't take more than 10 15 minutes and then you have another 45 minutes that you've blocked out to just I mean, whether it's over the phone or in person or whatever, just to be together mm-hmm. and and build that relationship, right? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be like intentional relationship building. It just talk about life, you know. Yeah. Um, but the idea that my yeah accountability, yes, there's going to be some law. Um, but if like accountability doesn't work, if I don't want to change anyway, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I mean, no change works unless I want it 
I want to change. Like I, and this isn't always true, but it, uh, I heard once like, um, you're not going to make changes in your life until uh, changing hurts less than staying the same. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not necessarily true all the time, but um, like change change it's it's a recognition that change is painful right right that like that's not a comfortable thing when we're trying to make a change even when it is for the good um but no i hope that it doesn't always have to be that (laughs) way where it always is like well i don't have a choice i have to change because this is so awful and terrible and i'm gonna lose everything you know like the idea of like rock bottom and stuff like i know that gets talked about in addiction circles and i've certainly seen it and and but boy sometimes the bottom can be really low and it's way lower than what you think it is and so if you can have a again uh in your in your thankfulness and in your sanctified living have a joy for saying i i get to work on these things that's a much more fruitful attitude and that's the kind of the foundation of this podcast too is that almost all men's ministry that's done in christian circles is done whether it's specifically geared that way or not most of it is done for Middle-aged men mm. who have messed everything up mm. and now <laughs> want to make it right, yeah. you know, um, and that was one of the big driving forces behind starting a podcast and a ministry now, you know, online and offline, that specifically is geared at young men, like mm-hmm. high school through young professional, college, all that, yeah. um, and helping guys get it right the first time, yeah. you know, and so like we can just live a healthy. We don't have to go to rock bottom, yeah, like. If you if you never experience rock bottom, you're not missing out. Nope. <laughs> you know? It's not a place you want to go. Um, and and like if we can, sometimes it's if we can convince. Sometimes it's just like if we can surround ourselves with people who also are walking a similar path mm-hmm. and say like, look, I want to be a good dad from the moment my child is born. I don't mm-hmm. want to have a wake up call when he's ten years old and realize that I'm losing. I'm yep. with them yep. and make an adjustment. I want to be a good husband from the moment, like from not from the moment we get married, from the moment I meet her. Mm. Like I already want, I mean, recognizing that God says you're going to be accountable when you stand before the, thro- the throne for what happens in your marriage, right? Mm. And that doesn't start when the w- ring goes on. It starts when your relationship starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then even recognizing what that means for your dating relationships and things. Um, you know, I, I, I want to be a good friend and I don't want to find myself friendless and then have to make friends. Like I have friends. Why don't I build those into something that meets my needs, you know? And, um, we just, we don't put a lot of time and bandwidth into that, those ideas and those conversations. A lot of times those don't start until the crisis moments. Right. And then you're in crisis. You're either like, yep, I don't ever want to go back there again. Or, you know, making some padding for yourself of like, yep. So if this happens again, Hmm. you know, I need to have a structure or something, you know, um, but we don't have to go through that if we can just build healthy habits and build a healthy life the first time around. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I really appreciate that, Charlie. And, um, (laughs) I think what you're talking about here is setting your intentions from the beginning, like with the end in mind, that's with the end in mind, you set your intentions for today. And I think there's a lot of power in that. Um, because I think, yeah, being a good dad like I mean I was thinking about being a dad and I was like man there are some things that I definitely don't want to do and there are some things that I want to make sure that I do and it hasn't been like perfect but I've set those intentions in my heart 
from day one. And I, <laughs> I, I think this is somewhat common, but I was scared to death when uh, my wife and I were expecting our second child because I have one and I was like, I love him so much. Like, how am I going to do this with two? <laughs> right. And, and it was like, no, just love just expands. Like it does, it just grows. And I don't think there is a limit for that. Um, and I have six kids now and I like my cup is so full. It's overflowing in, in my love for them. And, but that really comes from setting an intention before, before I was even a dad. And so I, I, that just really speaks, uh, resonates with me, Charlie, what you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I appreciate it, man. I'm so glad you came down here. It's been fun. It was a pleasure to meet you, too. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'll have to admit, this is the first time I've been a guest on a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've only hosted. So this was, a, this was a privilege for me to get to sit on this side of the microphone and not have to worry about any of the yeah, audio right. levels of tech and just kind of show up and, and be with you. So for it's sure. been a, a real... Uh, real pleasure for me cool all right on the way out the door here uh, go ahead and plug your stuff man everything you're involved in all the stuff you're doing yeah um go ahead and we'll we'll put all these links down on the bottom too so sure here if you hear something uh ben says that you want to connect with all those links are going to be down below yeah uh, but go ahead ben yeah so start with my role at bethany uh, lutheran college in mankato minnesota um, we have a clinical mental health counseling program there um, it's blc.edu forward slash cmhc that's a landing page it has all the information um, and we have lots of men and women going through that program that are degree seeking but then we've also got some guys that are in there for continuing education some pastors that are in their ministries and they say i want to know how to help people better i want to know how to um, be more refined in the way in which i'm offering help as a pastoral counselor and so so they're there so there's that website um, and you can get information there um, in terms of the podcast that I do, the WellMind podcast, you can find that pretty much anywhere, Spotify, Google, Apple, whatever. Um, I'm not, I, I only have a couple of episodes on YouTube because it's pretty much an audio-based um, podcast, but I do have two episodes that are on the Bethany Lutheran College YouTube channel, and so you can find those there. Um, but yeah, the WellMind podcast, I've been doing that for about a year now. Um, I try and get stuff out a couple of times a month. Um, so that, that continues to be my goal. Um, and then the last thing is uh, Christian Family Solutions. Um, there You can go on their website. Um, I think it's christianfamilysolutions.org. Um, and they have resources uh, for marriage counseling, child and adolescent counseling. They have day treatment programs for um, more like severe mental health needs um, and then they have all the way outpatient services they have their member assistance program which is all about their partnership with churches so that uh, members at the at the churches where they have the partnership can get free counseling they get yeah. you know three sessions five sessions no cost to them um, just you know they can get a good assessment they can get some good feedback and and, uh, and support and and if more is needed then you know they'll they'll problem solve with you there so um, yeah I'm one of the one of the providers, and again, in a limited capacity, but they have so many good people. Uh, they're in uh, tons of different states. Um, and then again, that, that MAP program doesn't have any limits. So I know like 
there have been some called workers that are like in mission in missions in Africa or China or something, and they get connected to a counselor through Maps. So there really aren't any limits or boundaries with how far a map can reach. Awesome, and a lot of schools work with map programs. A too, ton, right? yeah, from high school through college. Um, there are typically counselors right on site in a number of the area Lutheran high schools and and uh, College of Ministry. They're on the Bethany campus too, and provide services at Wisconsin Lutheran College. And so, yeah, they have a, a fantastic presence in uh, in the school system as well. Cool, awesome. Well, Ben, thank you for your time, Doctor Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. That's everybody called me Doctor Ben in the hospital. Dr. Ben? Okay. Yeah, yeah. When awesome. I worked in the hospital, well, I worked with kids, and yeah. you know, it's a lot easier, more familiar for them to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. no, it's been great, Charlie. I really appreciate you. Thank you for letting me on. Before we go, okay, I, you just, you do have a marvelous beard, right? Oh. <laughs> um, so what is it? What is it? So I've noticed that uh, a fair number of counselors that I've interacted with just okay. happen to have beards really um, okay or maybe, i don't right. know and there's also a little bit of a uh what's the word oh when you like assume things about uh uh oh stereotype oh stereotype um, okay yeah like mental health professionals that okay. you know like the tweed jacket and the beard <laughs> and the glasses is that like a <laughs> well, thing or? well i guess we have sigmund freud to thank for that because <laughs> he was the father of uh psychological beard growth um but no i yeah i i uh I, sometimes I would get a hard time at the hospital from some of my colleagues for my beard. And like one of the physicians even would be like, you look homeless <laughs> is what she would say to me. And I'm like, well, that's your opinion. Yeah, so she's wrong. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's just something that I I've had for a long time yeah. and enjoy and all of that. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know if there's a stereotype there, maybe more of a professor, Maybe Ooh, maybe yeah. that's what it is. Well, the, you get a little the, the combed over hair, yeah, the, not, yeah. that came, the, not combed over, <laughs> the almost a pump. I don't know what do you call that. Anyway, good looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> On <Okay>. that fantastic <laughs> note, thank <Yep>. you, <laughs> <laughs> guys. We love you all. Uh, thanks for joining us. Go be the man that got crazy to be. We'll talk to you next time. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, and publishing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. We hope it helps you along your journey to be a man after God's own heart. Be sure to check out the Gird Up channel on YouTube. There you will find many podcast episodes just like this one, but you will also find exclusive video content geared at helping you be the man that God created you to be by introducing you to other godly men, teaching you how to behave, study, dress, act, eat, and live like a man of God, and you'll find devotions to help you grow in faith. Please consider supporting Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping in the online store at girdupministries.com, or by making a $5 cup of coffee donation at girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure that you like, follow, friend, and subscribe to Gird Up and our guests on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Those links are in the description. And as always, we will be praying for you on your journey. Blessings, men. Time to gird up and go be the man that God created you to be.